Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Gymnazo Podcast. We are your hosts, CJ Kobliska. And Michael Hughes. And today we're breaking down principles, strategies, and techniques and understanding what is truth from what is not truth. How to integrate truth and principles into our practice with our clients uh, from different methodologies, different philosophies, and things that we've learned in school. Especially the studies that we are given saying that this is the truth. How can we discern what is actually true in these studies and what is useful so that we can be using them in our own practice? Welcome to the Genazo Podcast, where you get to peek behind the curtains of what it takes to create and run a seven-figure fitness facility that ranks in the top 5% of boutique fitness studios for revenue. But to be honest, that's the least important thing about us. Founded by me, Michael Hughes, Gymnazo has created an ecosystem of services that blend performance with restoration techniques and attracts top coaches to its facility. Hosted by its owners, Peyton and myself, and our top coaches, this podcast shares our best practices on everything from how to build a sustainable fitness business, to how to program for maximum results, to how to build a hybrid training module that's online and in person. We have marketing secrets, movement innovation, and breaking down trends in the industry. If you're a fitness professional or a fitness business owner, this is where you learn how to sharpen your skills and to see maximum results. Michael, let's get this one started off with what is a principle? When I look at a principle, and I'm going to go from two different standpoints. One was what I was kind of initially taught, and then now what I firmly believe is more true. A principle, when I was going through basic, you know, um, exercise science, kinesiology was like, oh, this is a, um, this is a something to anchor yourself to, and then base your training off of. And a lot of it was, hey, here's a study, here's a research paper, based upon this finding. Now go do your training to mimic that finding because it's based upon a truth or a statistical um, analysis of a group of people that is a guiding point. I'm like, okay, cool. So I'm going to go brace my core when I go lift because I got to protect my spine because it has to be this column that transfers energy versus can move and absorb energy and move through. It's like versus rigid, and I got to protect it because I'm going to go lift weights and da-da-da. What I didn't question was that what the study was all about and what was its focus and purpose, which was lifting versus functional outside movement. So, that's, so that was my first thought. Now what I think about a principle is, is an undeniable root cause can't go any deeper into the scientific field of understanding of that topic. Now, the way that we think about it, we break it up into three buckets. Physics. What are principles of physics? Not with movement, just with all physics on this planet Earth, that deep. Then we go into the biology and physiology. What do we know as absolute truth that no one will even question or deny in our field? Very simple. It's a universal, no methodology says yes or no to it. It's all yes. And then behavioral science, which is a little harder one. But universally, who would we all say yes? People like to be encouraged more than being yelled at negatively, right? Now, universally, some say, well, I like to be negative. We're going for the grand unified theory here on behavioral science. And that's, to me, what are principles, which is much harder now because you have to understand deep level science 
but not at like this crazy, I'm this ultra genius person who just does astrophysics, right? It's just understand these factors. So to me, that's what a principle is. It's brilliantly said. Um, it's like the ultimate truth. And I think one of the hardest parts is recognizing what is true, what is what makes a principle. Um, and it, for myself especially, um, I wasn't taught this in school, but I think it's something that's innate in every single human is that we can recognize when something is true, when something is real, when something is false, when something is fake. Um, and a lot of times I got confused with what's real and what's true. Um, I really, I really read something in a book. I really read something in a study and how I was, um, presented material was it, this is the truth. Read the study for what it is without having the ability to discern parts of the things are true of the study and parts of the study are just things that happened, but we don't really know why they happened. Right. And a, a lot of studies are designed to test a hypothesis and essentially come out with some kind of information that is useful for the future. Um, and, since graduating from Cal Poly and having this background in science and, and understanding what evidence-based means and, um, you know, looking at a longitudinal study, looking at something that was just short-term or a small group, um, I didn't really necessarily know after completion of college how to use this stuff in the groups of people that I was working with, uh, the individuals that I was working with, high school students, elementary students going through wrestling. It was like, yeah, there's, there's a lot of techniques and strategies that are given to us in field of fitness and the field of sport. And a lot of times using those strategies and those techniques leads to an understanding of a principle. Something clicks. Something is useful from one technique, technique to another technique to another technique, like a, um, specifically head pressure. If you have head pressure, you're going to be better off with a technique. And the principle is having kind of your center of mass in a certain way in order to direct an opponent. And so I, I came from this framework of um, direct experience to understand what a principle was versus what I was told. Mm. Somebody gives me a technique, a coach gives me a technique or a strategy to use, and I try to use it and it doesn't work for me. But I find a way to apply that technique or strategy in order to complete a, a you know, takedown or an escape or um, just chain wrestling, putting pieces together. So I think what's missing uh, from that side of you know, being given a study and being given something in a textbook that says this is true is what does it mean to us and how do we feel about this? But not just in the sense like, oh, I'm reactive, but in a sense of how can I use this to continue to better live my life or more fully live my life? I think if we can integrate principles of understanding, not only will it help ourselves understand how to navigate this world, um, but help others find that path for themselves as well. So I know I kind of took that into a into a left turn in terms of what you had said, but I think if we can come from this place of there are principles out there in nature that are in biology and physics and in the, the behavioral and psycho psychological side, how can we recognize these principles? Maybe we can talk about some principles that we are are recognizing as principles, or maybe they are partial strategies. Um, and you mind sharing part of your journey into understanding what a principle is, what truth is, or how you may discern it. Yeah, that's really uh, uh, something I have on my little notepad here. Is like principles, principles versus strategies versus techniques. And I want to and I want to give credit to a huge mentor of mine, Gary Gray, and the Great Gray Institute um, for really for really un. It's it's like they gave me a present and said just open it, and just see what happens. And they really provided me what what I actually turned into dogma early in my career. 
um, which is not a good thing. Um, and then realize, no, 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 they didn't give me a methodology. They gave me a way to think about methodologies. And it's so interesting how I, as, as a human being, wanted to attach myself to something that gave me this sense of confidence. And realize when you attach yourself too hard to anything, you become, well, you don't become self-reliant, you become codependent. And therefore, you're always looking for the answer from that particular body of, of, of focus. And they're fallible. They're humans. They're still studying too. So hence this concept of, no, how do you break down thinking versus do you just do what people tell you to do from a study or from a, you know, a magazine or an Instagram post, right? So that's the big focus. So I think a lot of what I learned in the beginning were strategies, meaning it's a concept of putting together a lot of different truths, quote unquote truths, or real things that were studied. And then let's formulate something to go do about that. And um, going through school was a lot about, like, we worked a lot on um, equipment, like leg presses and hamstring curls and seated reach tests with a sliding little metal thing on a bar, right, to measure these things. And, yeah, that's real. It really is real. But were we testing a truth about human movement meaning baseline, this is actually how joints move in real time, in real life, or we're just studying a way that it can move. And that's what I didn't know. And so to me, that's the difference now. Here's a strategy on how to make your hamstrings more flexible. But is it the truth of how they actually move in flexibility? Mm-hmm. And the answer is partially yes, but not fully yes. Let's uh, can we can we apply that that idea that you just brought up? Yeah. Um, a, a principle being, how I view it is like there are two bones that can move, and at a joint you're going to experience a movement. Let's say we're talking about uh, the knee into flexion, and how we're taught is the truth of knee flexion is that the hamstring flexes the, the knee. knee. Right, mm-hmm. and so we say, okay, well, we're on a table, and then you put somebody on their back, and you lift your heel. Like, yep, yep, that's the truth. They just flex their hamstring. Um, but are there, and it puts the knee in flexion. But are there other ways to create knee flexion? And if we can see it from a wider lens, instead of just this muscle does this, and that's what it does. What are other ways the joint can get into that position? You know, what are the I think there are five ways that the Grand Institute shared with us. That mm-hmm. is that one bone moves, or the, the bottom bone uh, moves. Distal proximal. Let's yep. say that, yep. The top bone moves. So distal bone moves or the proximal bone moves. There's two ways. Um, or both of the bones move towards each other, yep. creating a flexion. That's or scary. both the bones are going in the same direction but at different speeds, and that can go in one way or the other way. Mm-hmm. The distal bone or the proximal bone is moving faster. Okay, now we have a principle of a position and an action that is knee flexion or a knee flexed position, and there are multiple ways to get there. Now, how do we apply a strategy to create that same effect? How did you create knee flexion? If this person's experiencing pain with knee flexion, have we addressed those five ways, or are we going with one way that we were taught how the knee flexes? Right. And that's the difference between a principle is that the knee can go through flexion. True. <laughs> True. Partial truth. 
in how we define it. Like right. without the term flexion, the knee can still do that thing. Right. It can still bend. Right. But we give it a term and then we give it a way of doing that term. Right. And then what I, what I like about what I what we're hoping to, to kind of put how people think is how to think. Right. So we can get into flexion in five distinct different ways, but the way we studied it in college or in the study, whatever you want to say it, only shows one way. So therefore, if that's only one way and you're not getting the result, there's still four other ways that you can biomechanically test and therefore have different muscle options to go after or neurological pathways to go after to solve that problem. But it's not scientifically studied. So therefore, well, it's not backed. Well, it's called observation of possibilities, and this is where we kind of want to go. Oh, I want to dive deeper. And it's not just five different ways that the bone that the bones can move that knee joint and therefore create performance or pain on the two ends of the spectrum. Just to keep it simple, there's other dimensionalities of that motion pattern. There's frontal plane motions and transverse plane motions that still are incorporated in knee flexion, which is a very sagittal plane dominant. Dominant is the key word, not absolute. So that, yes, the knee does move in the frontal plane. It, that is un, an undeniable truth. And if you would like to argue that, then let's just stand up and just shift your weight to your left or your right. And you realize the knee does go through a valgus and a varus. But it needs ground contact, not open chain, which is very interesting. Another variable that I hope it's tested. And it also goes transverse plane motion. Now, I know some people are about to cringe here, say, nah, and he doesn't like to do that. And I'd say, correct, but there's in sync and out of sync transverse plane motion when you're talking about a joint pattern. The joints can, or the, the bones can go opposite rotation of each other, one going right and one going left, which is probably what you should be cringing about beyond a degree or, or a few tops. And then there's in sync transverse plane motion, which is an absolute necessity for optimal performance and pain reduction. Have we thought about that as an industry? And those are only part of the variables, right? We're just still in the physics camp. We're not even in the bio. Well, actually, we did jump into the bio biological camp because three-dimensional motion is biological. And then we have to go to the behavioral camp of, do I even believe that's a possibility? Even though it may be true, right? A lot of people believe the earth was flat. And that was their, there was, that was their principle. <sighs> but physics proved them wrong. So it's very interesting. So... I'll stop there in, you know, what does that make you think in terms of like, you're now this wrestling, you know, guy came right, right out of college and, you know, how does that make you kind of process or what was your process for learning that, that here are deeper truths, deeper principles that again, no one would argue those points. There's a few things I want to break down and initially it's the it's the part that, you know, I've been told this is how the knee flexes or this is the part that is open chain, you're on the table and, you know, put your hand on somebody's heel and have their heel drive up. Oh, look, see, they're creating knee flexion. Um, I don't think it's anybody's fault. I don't think anybody's to blame, but I think it's ourselves to deeply understand what we are intaking in terms of information and we can go from here. Essentially, when we're when an instructor, a professor, a teacher, um, an authority tells you, tells me, as a student or an inferior or somebody who is learning, I'm an apprentice, um, this is how it works. It's now my job to say, cool, this is hinting at truth. I need to take this information for what it is because it is real. 
and it may be partially true, um, but I cannot regard it as the whole truth because I know there's more to learn. Even in, I need to put myself in their shoes, it's like they're still learning too, hopefully, unless they're in a fixed mindset and saying, this is how the world works, and anything that goes against this, I just don't touch, right? Then there's a, there's a different level of understanding. But as the student, as the practitioner absorbing information, it's our job to recognize how we perceive this information and then what we do with it. There's nothing wrong with seeing it as truth and then integrating it and applying it. I remember going through Grand Institute and learning about the hip. Everybody had hip stuff going on. I remember learning about the foot. Everybody had foot stuff going on. And guess what? When I worked on somebody's foot, somebody's hip, somebody's shoulder, they got better. But there was only a certain limit to that better, to that progression, to that new performance, that new threshold, because I was limiting the, 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 the belief of this individual that this is the issue, and once we've solved this, we, we can go from there, mm-hmm. right? Or we're not even go from there. Like, we've, we found out. But typically, when you're working on one part of the body, the body's going to hold something in somewhere else, and it's going to be like a chase. And as soon as it becomes a chase, now there's a never-ending uh, threshold of, of confusion and uh, frustration and going, man, they just can't solve this thing, versus looking at the bigger picture and going, okay, we've, we've applied something that we understand is, okay, your thoracic, thoracic spine was limited, and so your knee was having to do more transverse plane movement. Now we've got your, um, and it was out of sync, because your knee was just kind of at the, at the mercy of whatever your spine and your hips are doing. We've, we helped your spine develop more motion. We helped your hips develop more motion. Uh, your knee is now not moving funky. But now what comes up next, right? We can't just end there. And so if, I can, if we can understand that, there's always more to understand. There's always more truth to be shared and to be seen. Um, now we can start developing some kind of success with our athlete, with our group of athletes. So it starts with how we're perceiving information and then how we're relaying that to the individual. And are we now telling them what to think? Are we helping them solve an issue that's bigger than the both of us? We're just getting better. So that's where my mind goes first is that we need to understand what we're taking in and how we apply it knowing that it is not the whole truth and can never really be the whole truth because the whole truth is the actual experience, not what you're doing about it. Yeah, and I, one of the notes I wrote down here on my, on my sketch pad here is that like, we are trying to learn more, and everyone who's in this field is trying to learn more. But are we trying to learn more from the same variables in front of us or encompassing more variables? And I think that's what we're really trying to talk about here is we have to continue to bring in more vari- variables. And the best thing about it, or at least a great thing about it, is we're trying to find what's more correct. And we're accepting the fact that we may be more wrong in that process. And I was listening to more and more podcasts and just kind of being inspired about this topic more. It's like we cannot try to find information that proves us right. Mm-hmm. We have to find information that proves us wrong. Now, I'm going to take that away from the literature and into actual client in front of you application because that's what really matters. I just had this conversation yesterday with somebody, with a client. I'm trying to prove myself wrong here. Yeah, and (laughs) I say that often. It's really interesting. Like, as I'm in front of a client, and I know that you and I do the same thing and jump in any time, but it's like, like, I tell them, because they're looking at me like, what are you doing? And by the time they've come to us... They've already gone through the traditional methods. And I've heard other practitioners in this movement field say the same thing, which is good because they've already tried what, they've, what has been popular, marketed, understood from a general population. It's not working, so what do they do? They keep searching. We're doing nothing different. We're still searching until we find the answer that we want or that our body says, I feel good, right? It's, this, it's, really, mm, it's a really amazing thing. 
It's really amazing. So I say I'm looking at your movement and I'm observing what I see, but you're also telling me what you feel. We're doing a scientific study. We're scientists. We're mining for truth, by the way. Yeah, yeah. And their truth is what matters to them. That's really what, what honestly, it's really true. You know, I don't care if your knee is going in a certain valgus angle. If it doesn't hurt anymore, that's good. And that's truth for you. And it's, this is going to mess a lot of people up. It's like, well, wait a minute. That's not the right angle. I don't care. I, I really do not care. As long as I know and in my experience that the knee's not going to get further degraded through the, the motion pattern, that's good because short-term pain is not long-term movement health. That's also very, very true. When, you know, so, but step one is step one. Step 10 is step 10. The true study is that what do our clients feel like in 30 years? That's mm-hmm. the true study, you know, but right. so coming down, it's like, we have to include more variables. And what I like to do is I'm going to, I'm going to put someone through a movement pattern that I have an understanding of the biomechanical chain reaction of muscle events that cause motion patterns. And I know that from studying anatomy and physiology and, and biomechanics, not mathematical bio, biomechanics, applied biomechanics, two different things, and then start to understand what should happen from my experience and from what I know muscles do to joints. And then I will say this, this may hurt more, but what am I doing? I'm putting in a variable and seeing that the, out, the outcome. And I said, am I trying to hurt the person? No, I'm trying to understand their condition, their reality, their truth of their bio, biomechanics. And then I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to do something here because I, I want to make sure I'm correct. So I'm going to do a toe in, a toe out, and I know what biomechanical changes I'm doing. I'm going to put your head over your foot. I'm going to put your head up behind your foot. I'm going to stack you. I'm going to not stack you, and I want to see what happens because I'm trying to prove to myself and to your body that I'm on the, the most optimal path. Keyword is optimal, not correct, because there's no such thing as correct that's optimal because that person literally had a femur fracture 14 years ago and their bones not perfectly aligned so therefore your their mechanics are not perfectly so i have to take it from an individual perspective with a grand unified understanding that there's still three-dimensional motion that's possible at that hip joint as an example and that's every session every session is a scientific experiment on what's on the variables that are in front of me versus saying oh, you should do internal, external rotation from your muscle because that's what a study said and therefore everyone fits into that paradigm. And I kind of want to start just, don't take this personally, but he slaps some people. Like, come on, let's, if I've w- woken up, then we can all wake up. You know? uh, yeah, the, the, I think the deal that comes up is that protocols are based off of averages from the extremes to the, to the non-extremes to um, you know, what worked for most people. And I think... A lot of times these protocols aren't actually looking at an individual and their story and how they got there. It's looking at a dysfunction or some specific part of their life or their their experience, uh, whether it be pain, whether it be lack of range of motion, whether it be um, pure strength. We're looking at a protocol for helping an individual get better. And we can get caught as practitioners just doing the protocol versus seeing how this protocol and this individual mesh. Where do they merge? Where can they work together? Where does this protocol not serve them? Instead of getting the person to serve the protocol, 
let's not get the individual to start the protocol for a knee thing or a mm-hmm. back thing or a shoulder thing or a um, lack of strength somewhere. Let's just go build this strength here. And it's like seeing if we did a 3D maps, a 3D movement analysis performance systems for the like the lunge matrix itself. And we say, this is how the lunge matrix should look. And if you don't look like this, it's wrong. We need to correct you into this motion. There is a level of success you'll find getting somebody to fit into the mold of a lunge matrix because it's more three-dimensional, it's more applied principles. However, if we're getting that person to fit the mold of what a lunge matrix should be in our own mind or our collective understanding of what it should look like, it's now getting the person to serve the lunge matrix versus the lunge matrix to serve them or the whatever movement assessment you're doing right? You're trying to get this person to fit. What's the baseline? What's the average? What's the, um, what's the high, high percentile? What's the low percentile? We need to get you better. Uh, we're now not working with the individual on a level of behavioral side. We're trying to get them to fit the mold that doesn't even look at their history, uh, where they want to be, what their lifestyle is currently like, and all these other dimensions. We don't necessarily need to be specialists in all these fields in order to help this person, but we can help this person understand their story better by providing our specialty, which is, as trainers, it should be to connect the person with their movement and their intent with their action. And so it's that conversation. It's that, that, uh, that question of how does this make you feel, but also questioning ourselves, how does this look to us? And we need to recognize and discern our own judgments of what that should look like and step back and go, what does this currently look like? Now we're actually looking at truth. What is actually going on at the foot, the ankle, the knee, the hip, the spine, the shoulders in front of me? Now we can merge that with what the person shares they feel, which may be true or it may just be a real feeling. A lot of times people share feelings or a sensation that is really there but how they share it is not the truth. Hmm. This really hurts me. Let's break that down further, you know? Like, what do you mean it hurts? Oh, I'm really tired. This is, this is fatiguing my muscles. Right. Where if somebody says they're hurt, I might have the thought of, uh-oh, we shouldn't do that, that we got to avoid it. But how do we go deeper in the experience and then help to just discern the truth of the matter, which is I am sensing something in this area or this place or I'm, I'm having this thought come up all of a sudden, we create an open channel for somebody to share their experience and now connect with what they're actually experiencing and get beyond the judgment or the thoughts of, this is bad, um, I have horrible balance. How many times have you heard, I have poor balance because somebody starts wobbling on a, on a lunge? Daily. Actually, you don't have poor, if you're standing up, you got some damn yeah. good balance. Yes. But again, it's the thought, right? <laughs> right. It was even yesterday, <laughs> a client's like, gosh, I, my balance is just miserable. And I, you know, I was just recovering from a cold and like, I, I, I've lost what I've been training for. I'm like, okay, first of all, understand that you had a cold and balance comes from three different systems. You got your actual proprioceptic feel of the, of the earth around you, balance one. You have your vision, balance two, but you also have your inner ear. Do you have a head cold? Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, one of those three systems was off. You close your eyes, balance gets relatively harder. It's like people like there's this understanding which I totally un- I totally get. People just put their toast in the toaster and it gets toasted. They don't understand how it happens. Or I get they it. put their toast in the toaster. Oh, sorry, they put their bread <laughs> in the toaster. They put the toast in the toaster. Yeah, they, they are. Actually, that's kind of actually how the fitness yeah. industry currently <laughs> is. They're putting toast in a toaster. Yeah, chill out, guys. <laughs> chill out. Um, or we get the you know, and from a broader scope perspective, you know, it's like. 
we get people who are joining and coming into the fitness industry under these very cool brand names with great marketing and great logos, um, Orange Concept and F65. I don't know, one of those two, four things. And they get so excited about this behavioral aspect of working out, which is so awesome. Behaviorally, go do something. Movement is relatively better than no movement, though you may degrade your or degrade your joints in the process. Uh, fine, we'll talk about that you know later. But the understanding of how they're doing it, they have their their techniques is what's driving their program. Their strategies are based upon principles that are not deep enough, and I think that's what I'm going to start saying. Principles, how deep? Do your principles go? Because it is a truth, but is it the truth? And when you're talking about things like, you know, I'm, my mind immediately jumped to like spiritual, spirituality, like, oh, you're going to get some fighting words going on there. But in terms of physics, we have a lot of things figured out. We really do. Biology, we have a lot of things figured out. Pairing those two things together, a little bit more challenging. Movement, we do not have a lot of things figured out. So we have to base things at least as close as we can to absolute truth. And that's what I really love about Elon Musk. Is it physically possible? Okay, let's try. And a lot of things 200 years ago, we didn't think were physically possible. And now they are. Flight being one of those, maybe 250 years ago. And so we have to understand that what we're talking about right now may not hold the water <laughs> in 100 years. Okay, I'm okay with that but I'm going with what I got right now that delivers results. If it doesn't deliver results, it's gone. If I, can't under, if I can't say why we're doing this that matches the true principles of what I described earlier in this podcast, it's gone. It's gone. I don't care. <clears throat> it has to be gone because my ego doesn't matter. It's the result that's in front of me. And when your results driven from... A whole, uh, from a, I mean, so is Orange Theory. The results driven. I get it. But from a holistic standpoint, mind, body, soul, mechanics, good biology, good phys physiology, and good behavior, and good practices, and long term, long term, then, and those don't fit that. Th those don't hold it. And that's sustainable results. Yeah. Sustainable results. But in, in long term, we're talking mm -hmm. 10, 15, 20 lifetime. And I think results we need to understand further too is that results we think is a, as a progression. I think that's where my mind goes initially is like, mm -hmm. oh, we need to keep progressing. We need to keep progressively overloading somebody. We need to keep getting deeper into ranges of motion. Uh, I don't think that's the truth. I don't think, I think that's, a, that's a way to go and to, to recognize success and results. But results are more than, well, I think at some level they are all quantitative. But how we're studying that quantitative data um, a lot of it is qualitative or subjectively studied. Um, even if we have real numbers and measurements, it's like it's still subjective data and it's relative to the person too because you might be making physical gains and getting physical results, but behaviorally somebody's going downhill. And the re there still are results, but they're not necessarily positive outcomes. Mm. Um, they're, the result is the effect that now this person is mentally unstable because of what they became attached to, which was the quantitative um, gains, the numbers, and now all of a sudden I'm plateauing and I'm not finding success. Well, I can either learn to understand that there's a certain threshold to hit and help my client understand that, or we can recognize that there are infinite ways that we can, we can observe results. 
And I think if we look at it from a holistic approach, it's like, okay, well, if we look at those three buckets of behavioral sciences, physical sciences, and biological sciences, what are we gaining? What, are, what is the result? Well, we have a, maybe a better connection with the physical forces. We're not afraid of gravity. We're actually using gravity. We're using ground reaction force. We are using mass momentum to an intentional level or a level of awareness that now it can be utilized and not just reacted to, which is why I really love um, stuff from, from Weck Method right now because it's applied physics. It's understanding the, and it's also bio, it's, uh, biomechanics, it's biology and understanding how those play together. Uh, behavioral side is that it creates smiles, joy. Right. A community. Yes. <laughs> there, are, there are sides of it that's like undeniable. Like look at the community that's growing um, in, in different fitness communities, um, in different wellness communities, beyond fitness, in the spiritual communities and yoga. But there are certain thresholds that now people are attached to mm -hmm. those pieces mm -hmm. um, that may just be behavioral. They may just be biomechanical. They may just be physical. And now we're, we're putting ourselves in the camps where, especially in fitness right now, I think we, you know, we, we got, uh, we didn't step out. We just observed from a, from a higher level of understanding that we can see biomechanics from multiple lenses and we can get into fights about biomechanics, but really we're all hinting at the same thing, that there are biomechanics happening. But what is it that we're doing to influence um, that? Are we intending to do something? Are we using reaction? Um, to, to put ourselves into positions of responding. And I think if we can look at at least those three buckets, I'm there's definitely more that we're going to come to an understanding of. But at least those three, it is a mind-body-soul aspect. It is a, your, your body is the biology. It is your mind is kind of the physics. Um, or the soul may be the physics of mm -hmm. it, the forces. And then the mind is the, the um, biomechanics. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's, it's there, well, those three camps, essentially. Yeah, fair enough. Um, we can look at it from the mind-body-soul perspective or the AFS perspective or other perspectives. And those, aren't, they, those aren't the truths. Yeah. Those are my, even mind-body-soul is like, wait, we're putting it into three parts? Wait, isn't it the same? Aren't they all the same thing? Like, we're, we're even having these conversations now to try to figure out, well, what do we mean when we say these things? Well, we don't have to fully define each of these. We can recognize that they are just pointing at the truth and use them as strategies to uncover more principles we we you know there's there can be an argument of we have a mind body soul but somebody else might say no 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 we are that there is not there isn't that separate thing you we are all that that's just a way to kind of um extrapolate wh what we are who we are in these individual pieces and i think if we can say okay where do we go from here well how are you applying those strategies into techniques and what are those techniques doing you doing for you to help bring you back to a principle of direct experience that's why we're all here is I think that's the ultimate principle is that we are all experiencing something. So if we can do something to create an experience that creates a reflection, we're going to go the right direction. You made me think about something. It's like we're trying to create the, ult the ultimate harmony between all three. Like there's a lot of these. I remember like playing like video games. I don't play video games anymore. I, I wish I'd, I did. But like I'll pick this, this, this race car, my grand Trees more something like that, or whatever the case is like. And you pick this one card has better braking but less acceleration, or has better handling but less braking. Like, in your, which card do you want? There's no ultimate hundred percent on all all of them. Well, and to me, like, what we should be using as a guide, a key keyword as a guide, is we're trying to find methodologies, applications, principles, strategies, techniques that build each of these bio, psycho, and um, 
bi- biological, uh, excuse me, and physical buckets as high as possible. Like that's the game. Great training and conditioning that you just work people to death, but there's cool music and you're on a spin bike the whole time feeling your soul ooze out life and love. Great on one bucket, but you're literally biomechanically destroying your hips. Whatever, you know? Okay, cool. Participate in that maybe once a week. That's fine, you know, it's fine. Versus saying that's absolute shit, because it's not. Versus that soul, that's, that's church for some people. Cool. But don't go to church every day if you're, it's going to destroy your family life, you know, like, <laughs> or your physical life, right? So it's really understanding these different parts. And like, um, trying to find an, a great definition for functional. And um, as I've been studying more and looking more, it's like, oh, it's, it's, it's functional is real. Mm, functional is efficient, effective. That's functional. And therefore, apply it to what you want. Bodybuilder, s- cyclist, person who just lives a, a normal athletic life. That's, that's functional for you. Ultimate function, well, that depends on the person who's arguing the, the case. Let's agree upon that, please. <laughs> then we can say which was optimal, but it's really the person's decision, Right? Our clients come to you because they want a particular approach or they want a particular style or a particular outcome. If we're going to try to convince everybody that this is the right way of doing this, we're barking up the wrong tree. What we try to convince people is that there's an option for optimum health, and we do live in America. At least this is where this podcast is coming from, and we believe in freedoms to choose. We're trying to educate people that there's an ultimate path or a better path excuse me, that, we're, uh, that we're on and we hope that they come along this journey with them. But it's still their call. So I, I kind of want like the scientific community of movement to be like, we're all trying to help people. We all have big hearts. And we're trying to prove something that makes something correct. So therefore, we can all latch on to it and do it and live a better life. When we start to get this ego or these camps, or these dogmas, like I can't say something that would go against my field of people because I don't want to be kicked out of this, this journal. And I remember Gary Gray saying that, like, he just went and said, guys, I have a new approach to something, and they wouldn't publish him. That's ridiculous. But it makes sense, because we all want to be in this tribe and feel good about it, and have prestige, and have recognition. If we can learn to put that down a little bit more, I think we're going to come to a better understanding of a unified, I'm going to understand that, okay, we're all trying to help people here. That's what we're just trying to do. I think with what you beautifully said there is that we're, we're missing a, an ultimate framework that we can all, it's like a source, a source code yeah. that then we can create what we want based on the choices we make and the people that we serve. And we have different communities, right? If we have pro athletes versus somebody who doesn't move, very, they're completely sedentary, they're retired and just never trained in a day in their life. Those people should be training differently, but with the same principles in mind, yeah. with a similar framework, um, and, and I'm going to share the framework that, that I regard as truth right now is that we live in a spherical world surrounded by a bunch of spheres and meaning humans, you have a bubble or aura around you, whether you see it or not, it's, we have a bubble of potential, a sphere around you mm-hmm. and more of a dome cause we have flat ground underneath us, but I think we can go beneath the ground if we raise ourselves up. So spherical, we live on a spherical world and a spherical universe and a spherical body surrounded by other spheres bouncing off of each other. And if we can recognize that, okay, we need to be able to navigate this sphere 
just from a, a perspective of just experience and movement, let's look at the basic level of just everything moves. If there's no movement, there is no thing. Even if we're sitting here in stillness with our eyes closed, there's a lot of movement happening internally. Yeah. And at an atomic level, from what we understand, there's a whole lot of space that could be taken up. <laughs> so if we can come from that perspective and go, well, how do we, how do we communicate this compass, this sphere, this navigation of where I'm going, where you're going, where we're going as a community, as a tribe. Um, this is a metaphorical sphere and also also a very physical sphere. Um, we can recognize that, okay, we have every joint that actually has a sphere of potential around it. Some joints just like to go in part of that sphere and stay small. Other joints like to take up a lot of space in that sphere. Thinking of the stable joints that only like to move in one or two planes, you know, or one plane primarily and other two planes very small and some that like to move in all three planes like an open like a shoulder or like a thoracic spine or a hip or an ankle and we can just regard those motions as truth like i can really tilt forward and back i can really tilt side to side i can really tilt in rotation we can apply terms to that like abduction adduction flexion extension but beyond those terms there's still movement happening mm-hmm. so let's understand that these are happening without our own terminology and our own judgments but they can occur. What are the things that can actually occur? We should have find that there's a lot of potential for things, and there's a lot of judgment surrounding those things that those joints shouldn't do that. We don't know. There's a spectrum of effort that should be happening there. So we can, we can start to go uh, from that deepest level of just there is movement and there's spheres to now we're extrapolating there are potential directions to go. Now it's a matter of connecting the people in front of us and ourselves to what that actually feels like. What is that experience like? to move in our sphere without judgment, without limitation? Where does our body say, stop? Where does physics say, you can no longer go here, you're going to fall? And then where can we connect with our own mind and say, is there a better way that I can do this? If I'm losing my balance or feeling wobbly, what is it now that we decide to do? And is it our own willpower that decides to do that? We brace our core? Or is it a reactive element to what proprioceptively, what we can't even really talk to with words, but we can feel and sense, now that can inform our experience. So now that knee flexion that you're doing on an open chain on a table, you're now creating knee flexion because gravity and ground reaction force pulled you into knee flexion. What was decelerating that tissue? Now we can start to say, I want to train my tissues to be able to decelerate better, to accelerate better, to move in this direction better versus, ooh, I shouldn't do that. Now at least we have a place of non-judgment and nothing that we've placed on somebody's movement and we can discern this is what can really happen and this is what is actually happening truthfully. Is this person's body really doing that? And if I had to put a term to what's truthfully happening, what term do we currently have for that? And we have the term of the, the flexion extensions, abductions, adductions, and rotation, knowing that it's all a component of what is actually occurring, which is all three planes at once. And that's why I love... Where our minds go is that there are so many things that we don't know now because we've taken that approach. And that's a scary place to be because why is this person's body doing this? I'd rather be in a place of looking to understand than telling that I know. Because I may not actually know the whole Mm -hmm. picture because I'm going from a place of what I thought was a principle but really it was just a strategy that was taught to me that then was a technique and then you're not doing the technique right so I didn't make your technique better. It's going to get me only so far. But if I can come from this bigger place, it is more confusing because it's stepping away from the barrier of English or Spanish or whatever language you use to describe a situation. Let's get our eyes to connect to what we feel, to connect to what we say, 
And that's a lifelong practice. But what's going to help out, help us do is set up the next wave of people and trainers and coaches and therapists and whoever is going to be working with uh, their community to now base their stuff off of the truths versus the shitty situation we're in, which is like we have all these amazing techniques from the studies that we've done, but now it's put us in a limited system where we're all fighting against each other. Hmm. Because we're fighting yeah. for the technique and strategy that all yeah. came from the same principle. We just don't have a connection to that principle. Yeah. The moment you find yourself fighting against a technique, that has to be a check. That has to be a check and balance in your brain to say, wait a minute, is this what we should be even talking about? And the moment you start arguing about a strategy, now, again, we have to put definitions on things so we can have Mm -hmm. a unified conversation. A strategy is brace your core. A strategy is uh, head over foot. A strategy is um, inside ankle bone high. A strategy is, uh, I'm trying to think of some big ones that are really out there. Um, Get your heart rate up to the orange zone. You're going to be fat burning for the rest of the day, right? Um, A strategy is Olympic lifting at speed, creates ultimate perf- performance. Um, I'd say technic- technically, too, coiling is a strategy. Yeah, right. Coiling is a strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, even um, 15 reps, five sets, hypertrophy, right? What are the cases at high volume? Strategy. Oh, there's scientific studies on that. I know that. And it works. Yeah, I, I get it, but <laughs> yeah. it's still a strategy, right? If you're arguing those things, again, check yourself. What's the next layer deeper? And that's principles. Not principles that are strategies. No, 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 no. Principles that what we know about uh, about human functional understanding of life, which is uh, can get deep, but we have to go there. And we have to understand it to the best of our ability. Key phrase, best of our ability. Because if we're not starting from there, we're, we're wasting time. And we don't have a lot of it. Like, we really don't. Like, life's long. I totally get it. But life's short too, and we need. What I I was driving in from work today. I had my own kind of workout time this morning, and the ultimate thought that came to me was like, the ultimate success of a movement practitioner today on this kind of elevated. I don't want to say the elevated field, but this new understanding, which I like to call it, that is our is our how quickly we can get a result. Give me somebody that can give me you know, fifty sessions. I'll figure out. I mean. I'm getting pretty good at this stuff. I'm not, you know, there's more, there's more and more to go, but I'm going to figure it out. But our job is to figure it out as fast as possible because capitalism still runs this show and people want value for their time and for their money. So I need to be able to prove myself wrong faster and faster and faster and dissolve away the crap, the minutia that they're giving me and just get down to the core essence of it. And the core essence may have nothing to do with their biomechanics. <laughs> it could be that they're just scared of falling. Mm. And we did all this biomechanical crap. And that's not crap, right? And it's yeah. like, all we had to do is ask them the right question, do a good, understand that there's a behavioral part to them too, psychosocial. And yeah. I, I've done that before. I, I've, gone, I've gone that far down. Oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Here's my technique for that. Here's my strategy for that. Oh, I get, guarantee you have tight hip flexors. Da, da, da. No, they had none of that. And it took me more sessions to figure it out, more money out of their pocket. And I just had to under, ask the right question. What are you afraid of? and so it's like okay i must this argument about biomechanics is even limited in itself even limited in in itself 
I th- I feel I'm pretty good there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a game of semantics, I think, in the in the field, and and it's it's good to clearly define what you're talking about, and it's perfectly fine to be like, this is as far as I know, but I know there's more to it. Um, there's more conversations we can have about this, and and these conversations we continue to have, like what is strength, what is mobility, what is flexibility, and we can get stuck in trying to define those specifically, or we can use those as strategies to help somebody experience their life more fully. And if we can, I mean, if it's ultimate, it's if you're in biomechanics and you you see somebody who's biomechanically sound, you're like, ah, oh, we did it. But they're living a shitty life. You haven't really done it. Mm-mm. You've you maybe succeeded with the biomechanics, but how sustainable is what you've done? Is it creating a space of um, safety? Somebody feels safe doing these things so that they can step away from the fear. Is somebody feeling like they can now love themselves for what they're doing? They're connecting. Now they can more fully express themselves internally and externally. You know, they're, they're freeing themselves from the internal judgment or what's been told to them and what they've perceived as truth. And now we're helping them untie those things from their fascial web, from how their body holds memory and says, this is how what's good and this is what's bad. This is how it should be, this is how it shouldn't be. Um, and then getting to a place of peace and coming to terms with, they may not ever be perfect, but the perfection is in the, the practice, the journey, the progression, the understanding, the insight, the enlightenment of the experience. And then how can we carry ourselves now in our community uh, within ourselves? You know, if we're carrying that soul of, um, I like to use those terms of safety, love, expression, and peace. And now they carry that with one, whatever movement methodology, practice, they maybe shift gears and join a different community, but they're still having those, those pieces within them. We're all going to be more successful and have a much better time. There's plenty of, of people to go around for every community, but how we're, how we're fighting about this, how we're um, trying to be right is only pulling us further back. And so we need to get, kind of get behind that veil and say, what is it that we're really trying to accomplish here? I got to serve myself. I got to serve my family. I got to make sure I, I can make a living. I can put food on the table. Now I feel safe. Now how am I expressing love in this? Sometimes we just get stuck there and we're living in survival mode, just trying to put food on the table. Right. But how we can we change. get ourselves out of that? Yeah, we can't change because it, it feeds us money. Mm-hmm. That's probably where, the, sorry, I had to throw that in there because that's yeah. a big piece. I think that is one of the most important things. And once we realize that, you see a lot of these individuals now going beyond their practice because they have the means to do so and they can share their insights. And I think if we can have that mentality as practitioners that we can be there too. We are already there, but we have to we have to carry ourselves with that level of safety, love, expression, and peace and that soul of it and carry ourselves to everything that we do. Um, we're going to connect deep with those principles and everything that we do will be helpful because we're coming from a place of truth, what is actually going on versus what we say is going wrong going on love it though well thanks for listening to us <laughs> appreciate you all your time your uh your desire to to kind of follow along with us if you're this far in this podcast then well um you should probably know something called the mdmc multi-dimensional movement coach it's a mentorship program that we offer it is a path but this path that we're trying to offer is the path that sees all methodologies we're trying to provide a framework that you can not get into one camp if you want to that's fine but to see like wait a minute there's a way to think about all these things and to understand them so we're trying to find lenses that peer into all movement methodologies 
that uh, give you a framework for you to be like, you know what? I can now think for myself on how to think versus just what to think. Peace out. Cheers, y'all. Hey, y'all. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, please share it with your fitness-obsessed friends and peers who are also navigating this world of fitness and trying to succeed with the trends and misinformation. As you guys can see, this podcast is basically a masterclass for trainers wanting to level up in their coaching skills and their fitness business model. We launched this in 2020 because you and your fitness tribe deserve to see an unfiltered look at all the aspects of what it takes to stand out as a next generation coach and build a successful fitness business. So share it far and wide. And please, when you do, do me a favor. Take a screenshot of this screen and share it to your social media accounts and use the hashtag gymnasopodcast. That's hashtag gymnasopodcast. That way we can see you and share your post with our audience. And finally, when you're ready to go to the next level as a coach or in your business and to reach more people, please go check out gymnasoedu.com. We have put together the best 90-day coaching program on the market for trainers wanting to become a masterful practitioner and build a business that gives them the freedom and impact. So let us help you do just that. We have online training and one-on-one coaching to guide you through a full 90-day certification. We even get you training our clients live because it's always better to work out your kinks on someone else's clients than yours. But we promise you this, your clients will be blown away by the transformation our program will help you make. You'll be masterful at a whole new level and part of an incredible community of coaches worldwide taking their skills to the next level. So if you thought today's episode had some fire to it and inspired you to take action, wait until you see what we deliver on this program. So just go to gymnasoedu.com and we'll see you on the other side. Remember that turning your passion for fitness into transformation and sustainable business is critical to reaching the people and lives you were put on earth to help. It matters and truly can make an impact in other people's lives. So I hope you do that. Keep sharing your passion and we'll talk to you soon.